Welcome to the St. Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall. And in this recording from the Premier Conference, we're going to look at brief, resolved, unexplained events from a talk given by Jilly Bowden. Now, throughout the talk, Jilly references a guideline that she's put together, which you can read in the show notes and find links to on the Peer website, and a further guideline from the US from Peds Cases. That's there for you to have a look at and reference as well as you listen to the talk. This is one of those topics that I think for non-paediatricians particularly could be really scary and worrying. When you see a small child who's had this particularly frightening episode and you need to reassure yourself and the parents that all is well and you need to know the way forward. And I think this talk really helps. I hope you enjoy it. My name's Jilly. I've had a lovely introduction already and we're going to talk about brief, resolved, unexplained events. And we can call them a brewery. Now, it's an event that occurs that is unexplained. And that's really, really important because we don't have a brewery that is caused by hypoglycemia. We don't have a brewery that is caused by sepsis. If you have a brewery, that's the diagnosis. If there's any other diagnosis or any suspicion that it's something else, it's the something else. You may recognise what I'm talking about as we go along as an old term, and we used to call them ALTIs. Again, we love those abbreviations. And that used to stand for uh, acute life-threatening events. Now, as we go through this, you'll see why that nomenclature has changed and why it's really actually quite unhelpful. We've moved more towards breweries. We did that about 2016, but this is medicine, so it takes a while to actually filter through to the front line. So I was working in PZD a good few years ago now, probably around 2016 when this sort of ulti to brew thing came through and when there was new research coming into the subject. There was children presenting with weird stuff and Kids are really weird, and that's why non-paediatricians don't really like kids, because they just do weird things. Like, they cry for no apparent reason, and they need to eat, like, 15 times a day, and they don't sleep. They also do just strange stuff, where they just might go funny. And this is what I was finding when parents were coming in and giving me presenting complaints. This is different. This isn't a kid just doing something funny, weird. This is something doing funny, really scary. And I didn't know what we were doing and how we were treating them. People, parents were coming in and saying, he went floppy. He was dead. He was not breathing. He was blue. And you look at the child and it's the child who is smiling at you and cooing at you and following the bubbles. They may even be at a point where they're pulling to stand or running away from you. And you think, were they? And then I didn't really know how to approach it or what it was or how or what actually really was a brewery. Was there any guidelines out there? Why, why do different people treat them differently? So when we're starting with, uh, with guideline writing, you have to get, have a little look at the research that's out there and have a find out about what somebody else has already done so you're not duplicating stuff. There's loads of information about possible alternative diagnoses for these. What else could they be? The Sentinel paper from the Journal of Pediatrics and it changed breweries to Alties and the other way around. That then set off a little bit more catalogue of research and people say, well, you've just changed the definition. What do you mean? Let's test it. So there's plenty of other things out there as well. The long-term follow-up of these apparent, almost what some people would call death attacks, okay, um, to say, surely there must be something going on. But actually, no. Moving on to one of the later pieces um, from 2018, which medicine, so that's technically still new, I think, is a retrospective validation of diagnostic criteria and risk stratification. So we're getting a little bit more into working out what's going on and why and how we can say it is or it isn't. Finally, we get to a definition. And this is a sort of consensus statement from a number of different bodies, from the research and from general literature. So a brewery is an episode of cyanosis or pallor, marked change in tone, high or low, altered or absent or abnormal breathing, 
and an altered level of consciousness. It can be one or more of these things, but it has to be at least one of them. With that, it must be in a child less than 12 months. That's really key and important. They do not fall into the brew category over 12 months. You need to be looking for another diagnosis. The duration is really short. So when it says brief in the start of the word there, we're looking for under one minute, but really typically it's less than 30 seconds. Sudden onset. So it's not, he's got a temperature, he's feeling poorly, he's started getting rubbish and he's now a bit floppy. It's sudden onset. Not explained by identifiable medical conditions. So as I said again, you don't get a brewery caused by hypoglycemia. You don't get a brewery caused by sepsis. And as I was looking at doing these and sort of combining the research and getting a really nice summary together, annoyingly, somebody had already done a really nice pretty one. So I can't take credit. This is from Pete's case notes. Most of the research into this is American. This is from an American website and it's really helpful. Having a look down here, though, at the management of low-risk breweries, what's a low-risk brewery, I hear you say? High-risk and low-risk. There are high-risk breweries and there are low-risk breweries. For low-risk breweries, there are no concerning features on history or examination, and the child is over 60 days. You can have a brewery under 60 days, but it's not low-risk. They're born over 32 weeks, and if they are preterm, they're now at least over... 45 weeks. It is their first episode only. We're not going to diagnose a recurrent brewery. It's not a recurrent brewery. It's something else. And there's been no CPR given by any medically trained professionals. And I think that that is quite an easy criteria to fulfill because if we're saying that these are lasting less than a minute, usually less than 30 seconds, there's no medical professional who's going to get to them in time anyway. And then the big red line you can see there in the middle of the screen, that says high risk. And the answer is anything that is not low risk. If we use this definition of a brewery, then we do have a sensitivity of over 95%, but it's a pretty poor specificity. So as you'll see, all the research that was produced and summarized very nicely breaks the categories down of a low risk brewery into should, should not, may and need not. We should, and I agree with this, educate caregivers on shared decision making about what a brewery is, making resources for those patients if we can resources for caregivers including CPR training. We should not and this is the information and the research that we've gathered about what we don't need to go and excessively do and over medicalize these things. We may do a 12 lead ECG, pertussis testing, remember a lot of this research is from the US and do some brief oximetry monitoring. We don't need to do or we need not do extended viral panels, urinalysis, all the other bits and pieces, CTs, neuroimaging. We don't need to admit solely for observation of these low-risk breweries. Risk stratification. So no concerning features, examination history, over the 60 days, not terribly preterm and corrected if they were, first episode only, and no CPR by trained professionals. High risk. Anything that's not low risk. So I created a guideline with obviously some help and support from many other colleagues. Um, it has a handy flowchart on it. It can be found on the Peer and Premier Wessex pages. Just be aware that some of you come from other regions. You may well have your own ones already and what you do locally, but I reckon this is a great place to start if I do say so myself. So management. Admit for observation if they're high risk and consider the following. You don't have to do all the following, but it's consider doing all of those bits and pieces. Low risk. 
Interesting point. No investigations are necessary. It does advise, um, and we do advise, education for caregivers about breweries, direct caregivers to CPR advice and resources. You can consider, and this will make everybody in the room relax a little bit more, I think, a brief period of observation, a 12-lead ECG to assess acuity interval, because it's quite non-invasive really, isn't it? And that's a big thing we can just tick off our worry list. And then an MPA for respiratory viruses, plus or minus pertussis. Now, you don't have to do any of them, but you can consider them, and that's in the guideline. CPR information to parents. When we were creating this guideline, we were discussing with lots of different people and lots of different ideas. Everybody's got their own cortical scarring. Everybody's got their own little things that have happened that they want to rule out they've seen before, haven't seen before. And that's what makes it a really good collaboration when it comes to something like this. So there was the question, I'm telling this person that their child had a completely innocent Brief, resolved, unexplained event, don't want to do any investigations and you're good to go. But please learn CPR. And that's a really valid question and I get that. The consensus was from across the region that we are going to include that because it has been included in all of the research. And actually when you turn it on its head, is it a bad thing to train all parents in children's CPR? Not necessarily. And also, there may be something that we haven't picked up. Like I said, the sensitivity is 95%. We've all been in that 5%. So if it's not a brewery, you wouldn't necessarily know until the repeat, which you're not allowed to have. Pertussis. It's American, this research. The argument for leaving it in was, let's leave it in for now and we can revise things. Uh, we are not endemic in, with pertussis in this region. So for anybody outside of it, that's outside of the region, that's not why I'm banging on about it. And it's just one of those good screening questions because you'll have taken an excellent history anyway. So you'll know if mum has had the weeping cough vaccine in pregnancy. If they are doing cough, 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 pause breathing, that's not what you're looking for for a brewery anyway. The pertussis screening and the viral screening also did come from a time when this was created when we were back in COVID land and we were managing to get viral stuff back really, really quickly. So it fit better and it was easy to leave in at that point. Times have changed. So in summary, breweries are what it says on the tin. It's a brief, resolved, unexplained event. You manage it by stratifying into a high or low risk brewery and you can find a rather excellent guideline on the peer website.